Chapter Twenty Five of White Rose of Weary Leaf by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five. An hour later, having refreshed herself with the ministrations of her true backer in this ring, the little child, Amy entered that holy of holies, Mrs. Dan's room. Edith came rushing up to her, the winged sleeves of her peignoir inflated with air her countenance beaming with ingenuous fervour. Fervently she kissed Amy on both cheeks. "'Then you'll stay, Amy,' she panted. "'I will, but on one condition. How tiresome of you to make conditions, Amy! But I don't care. I have had both the mothers in, and the trouble I have had to put them off. They both thought you looked upset when we got back to the house.' "'I was cold,' said Amy. "'Didn't you say that?' "'Yes, for so was I.' Indeed, I have only just fought off the beginnings of a severe chill. Those damp woods, and our conversation was a little trying. I can't help it. I always do start a temperature at the least hint of a scene. I am a regular barometer of emotion. I can't think how you keep so stolid, Amy. However, all's well that ends well. You will stay with us. I have not told you the condition yet. Be quick and say it. It is sure to be granted." it is this, that you keep all this to yourself and don't make a scene or a temperature either. I'll tell no one but Jeremy. You are not to tell him. I must. Then I go. Amy, surely it is not for you to dictate what I shall tell my husband or not. We are one. How could I meet him with such a secret between us? Oh, you little fool! But Amy, said Edith, who responded to the use of the verbal lash better than any woman Amy had ever known. What else can I do? Do you really want me to tell you? Yes, if only out of curiosity. Go on as usual, and if you make any change in your conduct at all, let it be to be fonder and more loving. It would be the height of indecency with you in the house. Well, then, I go. I said so at first. Cat! Perhaps. You know I can't do without you. You say you can't, dear, but I think it means that you go in mortal fear of the old ladies. Yes, that is the horrid truth. Because you happen to suit them, they threaten to leave the house if I let you go. They have said it in so many words. What a naive fool I am to tell you this. You won't lose by your naivete with me, at any rate. Well, I'm sorry you have told them, but it can't be helped. It won't matter. I'll work it this way. Beat them at their own weapons. Swear to leave if they let on. Then I've got them safe on toast. Oh, yes, you have got us all into the hollow of your hand. You are a sort of witch, a spirit. Possibly, but I am benign, not malignant. I'll be a good brownie to you if you will fulfill my conditions. Well, give your orders. I am to behave as if nothing had happened precisely and everybody in the house knowing what my husband is kept in ignorance of i won't stay unless then that settles it i shall lie down i am tired the emotions of this awful day before you go explain what do you want me to do next well said amy so as to soften off the rough edges a bit why don't you go to paris with mr dand for a week i heard him offering to take you no good. The autumn fashions aren't out. 
well make him buy you a jewel jewellers shops we have always with us go and dine about a lot make it a second honeymoon you advise that amy you then i really believe you don't love him sweet innocent muttered amy under her breath i'll do it said amy her eyes flashing i'll take a line yes do exclaimed amy violently take a line a different line to the one the average woman would take don't be commonplace be plucky be unprejudiced be wonderful submerge your human vanity i don't mean your physical vanity for that's useful i mean the part that's wounded by all this believe me in the whole scheme of things it's nothing a flash in the pan likes and dislikes loves and unloves what are they all a hundred years nay a few months hence but if you do go in for that sort of thing play the game learn the rules and do it properly you are pretty awfully pretty far prettier than i am and he is a man after all you can appeal to a side of the man that i have never appealed to in him or in anybody if i had had that kind of physical magnetism do you think he wouldn't have made love to me in the usual manner in a week i've been here a year and a half and am still respectable if he cared about a woman from that point of view he would brace his whole intelligence to get her he would stick at nothing and throw prejudices and opposition to the winds at once do you think i don't know that i should be talking to you like this yes i was wondering when it would strike you said edith coldly madam i am teaching you the game the pretty cruel game of men and women must play it or go into the ditch mine is true wisdom thoughts struck from the anvil of a hard life i make you a handsome present of them because i am sorry for you i do not allow people to be sorry for me said edith but i see something in your plan great merits it's so new isn't it did any woman ever before and you mean well at any rate i'll try it and see what comes of it and god prosper me and who is going to prosper me i wonder thought amy stevens as very wearily she made her way to her own room mr johnson was coming to dinner everyone was on the qui vive what a volcano she was living on was it worth the fight she thought as she languidly mended the lace on her dress and passed a large tooth comb through her thick springing hair that she was heartily tired of it all and would prefer to give up her tenure of the overlordship of swarland and all it implied what kept her here what stout iron girder of a motive supported the delicate fabric of her resolve love for another woman's child not of course love for another woman's husband oh no once let two perfectly modest unemotional women come to wrangle verbally over a man or contest him even for form's sake and allow themselves to discuss the sum of his affections as a treasure to be preserved by the one or wrested away by the other and it is likely that the sex interest in one or both of them will be aroused and stimulated passions dormant or frozen in more than lunar cold may then revive and take a hand in the pretty quarrel mrs dan's rash handling of amy's secret mind perhaps did precipitate the unwilling atoms and cause them to fall together kaleidoscopically in a pattern of love real or simulated amy was a good deal upset in the mental region not at all her own confident self as she extinguished the lights in her room swished the train of her dress that always did catch 
round the curve described by the notched old door of her room, and set out down the corridor and the turret-like stair to join the party for dinner. She was met in the lower hall and enmeshed in the embraces of two happy old ladies who knew that their precious digestions were entirely in Amy's hands, and who had some reason to hope that Amy would be good and amenable and not repudiate the helpless change. Mrs. Bowman limped a little. "'You are my staff,' she said gratefully to Amy, and used her staff accordingly to go in to dinner with. Lady Medrow murmured, "'I've seen dear Edith. She looks splendid to-night. There is a kind of soft radiance about her.' "'Her walk did her good, then,' said Amy, who was conscious of her own aggravated pallor. Talk of scenes and temperatures. It was hardy Amy, not the delicate Edith, who was the worse for their devastating talk. Mrs. Dan sailed in after the rest of the party, clinging cat-like to her husband's arm. Amy had quite expected her to overdo the seducing process she herself had advised, but, oddly enough, she felt a little faint, and her bread, that she seized at once on sitting down and began to eat mechanically, seemed as if it must choke her. Or was it her word of honour that she had given that very afternoon? She, who had never known jealousy, was irritated by the sight of the formal siege her willing pupil laid to Jeremy Dan's errant affections. Edith exaggerated the part in her clumsy eagerness to secure them. It was obvious that she had dressed herself even more carefully than usual. Her white shoulders were skilfully veiled in transparent folds of pale grey chiffon, like dim clouds about the brightness of the moon. Amy saw Jeremy Dan's glance, which nothing escaped, coldly appraising these matrimonial values. Mrs. Dand had an irritating way of sliding her long taper fingers round the margin of her décolletage. Nervousness, probably, a self-conscious need of adjustment, but to the other woman this complacent accentuation of that special form of appeal was insupportable. "'I am going with you, Jeremy, to Paris on Tuesday, did you know?' his wife announced suddenly. "'You refused before.' "'Souvent femme varie. I am going now, unless you refuse to take me. I shall be delighted. And you will take me to all the amusements, even if they're fast, won't you, Jeremy? To anything wicked that's going. And dine at the Café de Paris? No, sup. And you will have to pretend I am not your wife. Very well. Shall I peel you a pear, Amy? No, thank you. You may give me something to drink. What will you have? "'Sherry? Port?' she hesitated. "'Give her port,' said Mrs. Dant curtly. "'Are you not well, Amy?' "'Quite well. I am tired, that's all.' "'But she's turning quite white, Edith,' cried Lady Medrow. "'I believe she's going to faint. Oh, my dear Amy!' "'Liver, probably,' Mrs. Dant remarked calmly, not rising from her seat. "'Suppose you go and lie down, Amy, in the drawing-room for a bit. It is dark there.' Perhaps it will pass off. Gouty vertigo. I have never had it, but I know the symptoms. Mr. Dand rose and held the door open for Amy to pass out. Amy took in the self-effacing droop of his shoulders, and the mask of inexpressiveness he was careful to spread over his face, saw that he assumed the correct male attitude when confronted by grotesque feminine illness. Edith had made Amy ridiculous. 
it was the return blow that avenged the inequality of the combat of that afternoon amy felt that she never could forgive her and she had just sent her away on a honeymoon with the man who henceforth was amy's own concern for she could no longer ignore the effects of propinquity the chances of juxtaposition it was an effect perhaps of gouty vertigo but she suddenly saw the heavy ugly physiognomy of jeremy dand in a new light he was a strong powerful man of much importance and he cared for her she could and she would use the passion she had stirred in this odious woman's husband for all it was worth a handsome weapon of retaliation that lay ready to her hand she flung herself down on the sofa and lay quite still recapitulating the terms of the deadly insult liver she may as well say love as liver so she shall presently the door of the room was opened wide letting in a wide shaft of light from the hall mr dand came in carrying a full wine-glass her mood partly changed and she realized what her rage had possessed her it was over now she did not care of course she would let him go away with his wife after all and be happy with her if he could he was coming cautiously towards her and stumbling over a footstool swore gently why on earth didn't you have a light edith said i was to lie in the dark he put the glass of wine down on edith's silver table at her elbow and the metallic tinkle of the odds and ends that he displaced irritated her his hand closed on her ankle in its thin silk stocking and she moved with a pettish jerk that annoyed him i didn't seem able to find you in the dark confound it all it's the first time i have touched you amy burst into tears and edith bustled in go out jeremy and leave her to me don't you see she is hysterical end of chapter twenty five read by lisa reichert